The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, yeah, great to be here. Another Sunday in the neighborhood, <laughs> and um, I'm here with Tanya, Liz, and Chris too. Um, and so today we are going to cover um, the factor of livelihood <clears throat> within the Eightfold Path. Is one of the factors within that category of sila, of sila in the Eightfold Path. Um, as maybe you remember, we have covered um, wise view and wise intention which are the two factors uh, within the wisdom category. And we can practice them at the beginning, at the end, in the middle of the path. And then this category of sila or ethics, we have covered already um, wise speech and wise action. And today with wise livelihood, um, it brings us another view, another perspective of how it is that we relate to others in the world. How it is that within, within this being, you know, of us being on the path and having a sense of um, ground, being grounded in the practice... And on the path, how we can, within livelihood, we start extending or seeing how it is that the Eightfold Path supports not only for the benefit of ourselves, but also for the benefit of others and for the benefit of all. Notice that I said, and it includes ourselves, it includes others, it includes everyone. No one is included. Everyone is included. <clears throat> and so I will um, I will guide you in a meditation to set the conditions to receive also more of the teachings um, that Chris is going to share with you and then um, we're going to have, like other times, we're going to have a, a talk, we're going to have breakout se sessions, and today uh, we're going to have kind of a panel and kind of a co-creation with all of us for this factor. 
And then at the end, we are uh, going to have our potluck, you know, another way to build community and share community. Okay? So let's, um, I will, yeah, let's keep it like that for now. And let's um, take a posture that supports you. in being mindful, in being aware. Knowing that you are here right now, fully here. You made the effort, you had the intention to come here and cultivate your heart and mind and even support others without maybe you knowing it. So maybe taking two or three deep breaths just to even settle more in this moment knowing that you can attend every responsibility or duty, obligation, concern that you have later. And so breathing naturally, Letting the body breathe itself. Relaxing into your posture. Maybe scanning the body gently, kindly. To see if there are any areas that through your awareness and intention, you can relax a little bit more. Not by fixing anything, but just by being here even more. Relaxing the shoulders. The back of the neck. Letting the belly just hang. There's nothing to hold, 
Nothing to fix right now. Just being here. Nothing is asked of you other than your presence. Relaxing the muscles of the face. Maybe opening and closing the mouth just to relax the jaw. Relaxing the area of the eyes, maybe close, having the eyes closed gently or gazing to a point in front of you with ease. feeling the contact of the body with the chair, feet with the floor. Hands touching each other or maybe resting on your thighs. And letting the body being infused with awareness, with your mindfulness. A mindfulness that receives everything, that can hold everything without being against or in favor. Just being here, aware. As this dear body breathes in and breathes out. And as you are here, living your life in this moment, having your life and your practice been one, see if you can find within your heart, within your mind, body, within this being, A place where there's ease in your body, where there's alignment, 
where you feel and are reminded of the values by which you live your life, your aspirations and intentions, in a general way, nothing complicated, but just sensing a place where you feel rooted a place where there's even ease with any dis-ease is okay A place where you feel your, your aliveness. Where you're able to receive anything. Any experience that comes through your senses and that as we receive them, all become the world within you. As you breathe in and as you breathe out, And then within that place, you may bring to mind perspectives or views that support you, beautiful qualities, skillful qualities, thoughts, such as maybe the Eightfold Path. the precepts compassion loving kindness letting go maybe non-harming Maybe the 
aspiration of providing safety for others and for yourself by trusting trust in your practice Feeling within your body this internal sangha. This internal sangha that supports you in living your life with ease, in living your life in a way that supports you in difficult times. That allows you to enjoy beautiful times. We all have this internal sangha. In one way or another, in our unique way or circumstances, And as you breathe in and breathe out, maybe you can bring to mind your loved ones, your families, whatever you call your families, families of origin or Families you have created for yourself. Families of different beings. Bringing them to mind. As you breathe in and breathe out. bringing them to join a concentric circle around you. Maybe bringing another circle of anyone that you come, that you meet, that you come into, maybe at work or in any way in which you practice livelihood. It could be at home, other people than your family. Service work, volunteering, being kind to people in your neighborhood.
and then bring in another concentric circle of communities and cities that surround you, nature, the environment, the natural world. As you breathe in and breathe out, and then bring in one more concentric circle of society. different societies you have been part of. Maybe even the world society. And as you breathe in and breathe out, see how it feels in the body in the heart, what physical sensations come for you to receive. As we name and acknowledge all the different circles that we may be part of, that we are interconnected. That we are interdependent. And maybe including above and below, not only horizontal, but in all directions. And any other circles you want to bring in this life of yours. Take a moment to just receive them and see what is the impact of naming all these interconnections.
livelihood. <laughs> um, for most of us, this is a vast part of our life, right? It's so many minutes of our days and nights and all, all the years of our lives. And of course, this covers, you know, I think it's really important to hold it in a way of what are you doing with your time, you know, because it's not only that you're work when you have an official job that you're working at but when you're retired what you know what then is your relationship to your society or what are you relying on to make your way and feed yourself and so forth or you know it could be that you're primarily raising children or homemaking so there's so many different ways of holding this that it's like what is what is what are you doing with the bulk of your time and your interaction with society so we tr- the Buddha's teachings on this are explicit teachings on this are fairly you know fairly narrowly focused and I'll tell you what those are. So we like to expand this and talk about not only what we produce in our livelihoods but look at the other side of the coin of what do we consume and use in terms of resources and all the ways that you're interacting with society. <clears throat> Um, the suttas offer these very basic teachings, which is good in a way, because the Buddha isn't telling you this exact thing is right livelihood, but it's basically a short list of things that would contradict right action, like not dealing in weapons, not dealing in living beings, not dealing in butchery and poisons and intoxicants. And you should also avoid practicing, this might get trickier in a lot of occupations these days, you should avoid practicing deceit, treachery, soothsaying, trickery, and usury. You know, usury is charging uh, excessive interest on money. So, um, you know, we can look. We all are challenged a lot in our jobs these days to look at where's the edge on a lot of those things. But it's also, I mean, you know, having most kinds of livelihood is, is fine. It can be compatible with the path. You can... Think of how grateful you are to all the millions of jobs that people do. Everything that happens to keep the lights on and keep things flowing and keep transportation going. And all those are jobs that are perfectly fine and in service to society. And you can look at at appreciating those things. The Buddha is not also... The suttas are not against uh, earning money, you know. He, He lists several standards for how to... Wealth should be gained by certain standards... One should acquire it only by legal means. One should acquire it peacefully without coercion or violence. One should acquire it honestly. And one should acquire it in ways which do not entail harm and suffering for others. So just very compatible with everything we've studied so far. Leaves a lot of room for making our way in the world. Very realistic about the need for lay people to make a living. Uh, In one sutta there's a list of four grounds for praise in making money that it was made righteously. The second, that it makes oneself happy and pleased. So, you know, you're, you're allowed to enjoy your work. <laughs> Three, that one shares the wealth and uses it for meritorious deeds. 
Four, that one uses it without being tied to it, infatuated with it, and blindly absorbed in it, seeing the danger and the escape. So this points to one of my favorite teachings about the seeing in things of this world the gratification and the danger and the escape. So there is gratification, but the danger is it's not permanent, it changes, there are karmic consequences to how much we cling to it. And so what is the escape from over, overly clinging to your dependency on having a lot of money, for example? So what's out of balance often is focusing on the kind of security and so forth and possessions that money can buy and not really cultivating uh, the kind of wealth that will see you through hard times or see you through the absence of the circumstances that let you get money and so forth. So we need to balance those two. So within these basic guidelines, it usually seems true that how whatever we do is more important than what we do. A lot of people, especially in points of career change or young people, they're thinking it's terribly important to find the right thing to do. But I think if you just apply those guidelines and don't find something that's, you know, unwholesome to do, then the whole thing is how to make that meaningful, how to make that useful, how to make that really, how to really appreciate that you're doing it of service to society. Um, So... It's really important also that we're holding our livelihood, that we're, well, that we're holding our practice not separate from the rest of our lives. I think that's a really important thrust in this factor. It's so easy to, you know, work all day and then maybe Sunday morning or, you know, 20 minutes now and then you remember your practice (laughs) and do your practice. So if your practice is not separate from what you're doing. I remember another teacher said one time, for many years she carried her practice around like a purse. You know, it was like a thing that that she had that was separate and she would reach into it once in a while. So how can we really have our practice uh, permeate everything that we're doing with so much of our time? You know, even if you're not to the point yet where the path is the whole meaning of your life, it's still, it's very valuable to have this much more kind of existential perspective to tap into, right? It helps us balance the tendency to just get hyper-focused on what's going on in the particular things that we're working on. I'm sure you can look back and remember episodes where you were completely stressed out about some project that was due or report or thing you had to do at work, and where is it now, you know? <laughs> so many, so many things like that. And so having some perspective on what you're, what you're all caught up in right now and how it's just going to disappear in, you know, weeks, certainly months and years. So a former manager of mine had a sign on his desk that used to say, don't let the urgent drive out the vital, which is very easy to do <laughs> in a lot of working environments. So in keeping this balance in mind between getting done what needs to be done, which we need to do, and also feel like you're being on the path as you do that, there are so many aspects. There's always some aspect of the path or our practice that we can bring that we can bring in. And we can kind of elevate our perspective to realize that, okay, right now I'm, I'm working on this deadline or I'm dealing with this difficult person or something, but also that's a chance to practice something. You know, so it sort of, um, it takes some of the 
momentary urgency out of it and gives it the bigger perspective. So, of course, mindfulness is what makes everything else possible. You know, when we're cultivating our mindfulness, we're cultivating the ability to be present, to give ourselves that space to bring some of this stuff to mind. So even if there's some very seemingly urgent and difficult situation in front of you at work, it's really probably better to be able to just take a couple breaths and feel your feet on the ground and recollect, give a chance for some wisdom to come forth. This, it's a great way to constantly work at counteracting this total absorption, especially these days in screens, you know, and in 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 impersonal mental activity that we're so often absorbed in, to be able to come back to your body. You know, for for a while I have had a practice of trying to remember the space, trying to tune into the space between me and the screen. You know, that it's this is an object that I'm looking at and it's not it's not so that my head is not in that entire world and a hundred percent absorbed in it all day. Awareness of space. And Awareness, you know, all the topics of awareness, of our reactions, of the emotionality that comes around. Even if at work it's not the appropriate time to spend much time to address it, if you can notice that it happened, then later in the day, you know, maybe before you go to sleep, you can you can sit with it for a while and see if you can process through what happened and really feel into how you might do it better next time. Of course, intention is always, always there a big part of intention, as Bernie was talking about, is remembering people. You know, on the other end of that email is a person reading that email. And if you're in a factory making something all day, there are people who are going to use that thing. <laughs> so, you know, trying to somehow bring in mind the human element. Um, and learn to see the suffering behind some stress-based behavior that you might be experiencing in your fellow in your fellow workers. Always being able to imagine people outside of work and their full humanity, that they're, they're doing what they're doing. They have whole rich lives that doesn't just boil down to their function in your workplace. So Sharon Salzberg recommends an exercise in intention. Say, before you do something, really take a moment to determine what, what would be the best outcome. Do you, want to be, do you want most to be seen as right or as helpful, for example? Do you want to foster progress or do you want to hinder it? And there could be cases either way, but what, what do you want to do? You, know? you can pause before sending an email. What do I most want to see come from this communication? Do I want to see the other party feel diminished or encouraged? Just checking the tone that's crept into your email. Do you want them to go away or do you want them to increase their involvement in your project? So just so many ways to check your motivation throughout the day. What do I most want to see as the outcome? Peace or excitement? Ease or stimulation? Just noticing that you're, you're having something happening. And then the quality of effort that we'll take up next month. How do we use our attention and our effort? You know, multitasking is very glorified these days, but of course there's really no such thing. There's just how fast you switch between one thing and another. So... Is that a value? You know, are you are you pleased with how fast you can multitask, or are you losing focus that things really get done in a kind of single task at a time way? So you can look at that. Boredom. Some some jobs involve boredom. Maybe your mind is caught in some resistance, but you 
boredom is a great opportunity to find some level to attend to that's more satisfying. If all you're doing is stacking widgets, that's not that different from walking meditation. (laughs) So, you know, or standing meditation or breathing meditation. So, you know, at some level you can find some way to bring the practice into what you're doing. Procrastination. You know, the mind likes to take off big chunks of things. Oh, this whole project is due, and then imagine how terrible it's going to be. So you can really look at how you're using your mind, break things down into small chunks that you can do. There's a kind of value on pseudo-busyness or real busyness, but it's it's very cool to be busy, you know, and, and kind of suspect not to be very busy. So you can just look at how you how you hold that and how that's held in your workplace, and maybe... You know, can you get your work done? And just notice for yourself when you're buying into needing to look or feel extra busy all the time. Um, So in terms of speech and action, there's endless opportunities to look at our integrity here. You really just, if if you work in a culture of cynicism or gossip or divisiveness, just really looking at opting out of that, you know, and, and being a force for something else. If you find yourself under pressure to act unethically, that's a really deep thing to look at. You know, where's the hook? Where is your hook that you feel pressured to do that? And where is that that coming from? Here's a kind of radical quote by the poet David White that I like. To live with courage in any work or organization, we must ultimately know the part of us that does not give a damn about the organization or the work. We do this not to create a veneer or protection through cynicism, but so that we can meet the powerful structures that inform our existence on equal terms and in real conversation as equals. You know, so that you don't just become a cog in the machine. I hope that most of you have very meaningful and satisfying livelihoods, and this is not, this is just irrelevant to you. I fervently hope so. I know a lot of this is coming from my many years in the technology industry where it did not always seem so. So <laughs> I really hope that, that much of this is irrelevant to most of you. But if you, if you find that you are working in a big system, the point is it's very good to have your own values go very, be very deeply rooted so that you know when, when the system is overstepping boundaries that you don't want to overstep. So, of course, it's a great opportunity to look at our views and our wisdom, identification, you know, I am not my job. You are much more than what you do at work. There's this wonderful teaching on the eight worldly winds, pain and pleasure, gain and loss, praise and blame, fame and ill repute. You know, those forces are, they just go back and forth and back and forth in all our lives all the time, and we're often very caught up in them whenever we are interacting with the world. Um, Joy, contentment, satisfaction, those are all beautiful qualities that are hopefully there in in our livelihoods much of the time. So tuning in, coming back, tuning into the joy and satisfaction that drew you to this in the first place or that you can find or that you can create or, you know, what is meaningful about this and how can you make something meaningful about this? So the other thing that we like to look at in, let me just look at the schedule here. Okay, 
very quickly. <laughs> we like to look at the other side of consuming. So producing and consuming as two sides of our relationship. Consuming purchases, services, entertainment content. What are we contributing and what are we using that others have contributed? And how are we using our shared natural resources? So there are so many relationships to people and other sentient beings of all kinds that we can bring into. The network of beings that we collaborate with to produce. The consumers of what we offer. Those whose work has gone into producing what we use. Next time you buy something or consume something, you could spend a moment imagining all the people whose work and livelihood has gone into making this possible. Those we share the current, the currently that we share the planet's resources with and the future generations to come. So what kind of work are we supporting by what we choose to buy and use and consume? And what kind of consuming are we supporting by what we produce? You know, that's a question that a lot of people could look at these days. Are we working, there's a balance between working and consuming for a lot of people. Are we working so that we can consume more? Is, our, is the time and effort that we're putting into working in balance with consuming more? Could we simplify our lives more and simplify both sides of this equation? And also there's so much information and complexity in the world today about consuming, wise consuming, using resources. I just want to say that we need to be very careful that we don't get shut down from information overload or that we don't start coming from being driven by a sense of fear and contraction and clinging to a wish to be completely perfect in, in all these ways. That's really, it's really not coming from our open hearts. So there is this teaching that uh, Bruni reminded me of called Hiri Otapa, which is really referring to our conscience. It's the appropriate, the appropriate feelings of remorse when you realize that you've done something unwise or you've bought something that was produced by slave labor somewhere or something like that, that, that it's, it's appropriate to feel remorse. And it's appropriate, there's a kind of appropriate, you could call it fear or, oh, I don't like fear of touching a hot stove. You don't want to do that. There's an appropriate ugh, against doing that thing in the future or against causing harm. So, you know, how to use these, these qualities of mind, they're sometimes called the guardians of the Dharma because they're, they're, it's without a conscience, where are we? You know, so these are qualities of conscience that can be cultivated in ways that don't turn into contraction and tightness. It's so much more expansive to be motivated by positive values, you know, how it feels to be healthy, the taste of wholesome food, the love of simplicity, appreciating of other people's labor, you know, or it involves a certain amount of ingenuity and skill to make do with less. That can be something that's enjoyable and interesting. So tapping into the satisfaction and joy of doing your best notion of what's the right thing. It's much, your, your, your wisdom and your motivation to act in these areas is much more likely to grow and much more likely to influence others if you're coming from an open heart and a genuine uh, love of what you're doing. So, um, okay, I think we'll have a breakout session now and discuss this if, if we could take a moment to just if anybody has a any questions or comments I was hoping to leave more time but I didn't for questions
questions from the floor? <coughs> Anything on your mind that you'd like to ask or share? There are so many ways of looking at livelihood as a topic. Any questions that you think are relevant to livelihood that we haven't mentioned? Uh, thank you. Um, you're right. I think a lot of us generally are in the safe place when it comes to <laughs> right livelihood. But oftentimes in the work environment, we see something unethical going on. Mm-hmm. It could be perfectly legal, but a lot of ethical challenges that come in the way. Right? Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been in high tech 35 years. I was a CEO of startup and different companies, and I just had it, and I retired at 58 <laughs> and completely seeking this path because I had a significant conf- conflict yeah. with the way the business is being conducted, and I just need to not fight the system but choose my own way. <laughs> yeah. But it does happen. My yeah. question is mostly around if those things happen, what role do we have to notify or whatever, right? That's where I feel a certain sense of responsibility, but I couldn't really execute on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no easy answer for that. We have as much of a role as we can take without causing ourselves and others more suffering than than we can bring to it. You know, it's it's beautiful that you stepped away from that and that you're spending this time cultivating. You know, maybe what we need to do is cultivate our courage and our strength and our inner, our inner ability to let go of all the dependencies that are keeping us unable to step up more, for, more clearly. And it's not clear what's really effective, you know. A lot of what we're learning in the path is how deep suffering goes and what is human motivation and everything we can learn about what actually works for us to hear new information and to change our minds and what kind of conversations are really do actually help us change our minds and what kinds make us more defensive. So everything we're learning about that about ourselves can then apply when we think about trying to influence other people. Thank you. you know, that's anybody have any Can I say something? Please. I really appreciate this question because I, I, I personally uh, feel like I struggle with this idea of um, what am I responsible for? You know, if I'm in a system and I can't control the system, um, how do I stay? So I can either, I find myself either sort of distancing, um, in which case there's the risk of the heart shutting down. You know, this, the, the risk of the, the compassionate part not staying engaged because there's some sense of powerlessness or futility. And um, I, I've been really uh, contemplating this because there's this idea of mindfulness. Have you heard this idea of mindfulness? The ma- sort of this massive sort of societal... Um, mindfulness practice and there was a story in uh it was in from a british paper where there was a housing complex that was evicting all the low-income tenants and all the the units were actually being sold to people from other places and they brought in this 
um, mindfulness trainer. And they offered free mindfulness classes to the tenants that were being evicted evicted about how they have power to choose and all this stuff. But it was very much about, like, really this... um, Something I feel like I've been guilty of in moments, right, of the sense of, you know, it's up to you. It's your choice to be happy or not, right, or to approach your life. And and it really disconnected from the societal, ethical, sort of bigger picture. So uh, I'm really appreciating what you're saying and that I want to really just say I think there's a real struggle here and how do we keep our hearts open? How do we meet... um, feeling powerless and stay com- compassionately connected to both our experience and others and and do what we can when we can to support um, wholesomeness, health, care. Would you hand the mic over there? I um, just wanted to respond to uh, your comment, too, about how much... Um, responsibility we have to like report or engage something and I think coming from my background I think if you have a special knowledge or a special skill within that community in which you are particularly well informed about whatever the conflict is I think that there may be a higher responsibility uh, to do something because of that knowledge and engagement um, again, I think it depends on how much you're <laughs> willing to take on and whether uh, that causes you harm or people around you. But I think there is a way, at least I'm finding a way, to be engaged in making certain changes or certain awareness uh, of uh, those kinds of situations without uh, there being a, a detriment. But I think it's I think that knowledge and uh, experience is uh, is kind of critical. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, why don't we get in groups of four and uh, you can. You know, we can go out there. Let me read you the question since we might need to spread out a little bit. Um, we're just gonna we're just going to um, uh, let's go around and uh, let's do the form where we go around and around. So put in one thing, let the next person put in another thing, and hopefully we'll get something somebody said might spark your own thoughts. And okay, so not a long monologue, but. Kind of one thought. So there are two questions here that you can address as it comes up to you. What aspects of your give and take with society or your way of life feel most aligned with your heart's values? And the second one is, how could you bring more of your activities into alignment with your values? Okay, so where do you feel like you are in alignment with your values And how could you bring maybe some more parts of your life more into alignment with those values? Okay, so maybe you can just think of one example and then let the next person get the idea for that.
sessions now? Yes. Well, we're going to go in breakout sessions of four, and in your group of four, you're going to go around and round and 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 uh, on the questions of where are you and aren't you in sync with your deepest values. Okay. Okay. Before we do our break, should I cover the food with tablecloths, or do we want? I might. I might just mention. Do you think we should nosh? I think maybe we shouldn't. I don't know. 